Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode, I talk to singer songwriter Junior Giscombe. I first probably stumbled across Junior's work. Um, well, he's worked with Lynx and then through to his, his huge global hit, uh, Mummy Used to Say. And then we talk about that and we, we, we move forward as well and we talk about um, his time at school and how that made him very aware of um, ignorance and injustice and how that shaped him into being somebody in the, the mid-80s become a key member of the Red Wedge movement, which we talk about that he was um, involved in with Paul Weller and, um, and Billy Bragg and Jimmy Somerville, uh, Tom Robinson, etc. Uh, and and we, we, we talk about that at length, and it's, it's, it's a really interesting uh, natter. Junior obviously picked some incredible records, um, which uh, you're going to hear us talk about shortly. Before we do that, a few thank yous. So thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to 76 uh, for producing this podcast. Thanks to you lot for continually supporting this and just being generally quite nice about the podcast, which is which is lovely. So thank you so much. If this is your first time checking out Off the Beaten Track, then when you get to the end of this uh, lovely natter with Junior, go and explore the back catalogue because it's uh, it's a diverse uh, bundle of chats. Uh, there's over 300 and you can hear me talking to artists such as, oh, where do we go? The Foo Fighters, Fatboy Slim, um, Travis, Swade, gosh, who else? Lee John, we, we, we mentioned Lee in this. Um Oh God, there's there's loads. Um, I mean, obviously, we we, we spoke about Red Wedge. Uh, I spoke to Mick Talbot of uh, the Style Council uh, on here. Steve Craddock, uh, that's in Paul Weller's band. Um, yeah, go and explore the the back catalogue because there's a, a a big stack of of Ace chats to be listened to. And um, if that's not enough, um, and you need even more content, you can get that, uh, and you can get that weekly. Um, by that, I mean you can get access to 200 or so episodes that have never been released to the masses, uh, video episodes, uh, hundreds of radio shows, and, and that's all over on my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track. If I'm bamboozling you with information, your one stop shop is and trackpodcast.com so that's not beaten beat and trackpodcast.com if you go there there's links to the patreon um and there's links to all the 
different places you can listen to the podcast. There's links to all the social media. So if you're not following me on the socials, give us a follow. Uh, give us a like, a love, a share, a retweet, all of that stuff. Drop us a message. Um, always love to hear from you. Um, and if you'd like to support the podcast, um, it's I think it works out about a dollar a month. So 79p, and that'll give you access to hundreds more episodes that have never come out before. Right. I think I'm done with all that waffle and uh, we can get started now on some ace chat uh, and that comes courtesy of today's guest. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce the wonderful Junior Giscombe. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with him. Okay, we are recording. Joining me today, Junior Giscombe. Hello. How you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm good. I really appreciate your time today, and I'm looking forward to talking records with you. Yeah, man. Definitely. Well, before we get onto the, the the track list, we're we're recording this on the the 28th of July, and we're we're a, sort of a week into. Um, coming out of lockdown with restrictions being dropped and we're seeing a, a return of live music and, and nightclubs um, in, in various kind of um, levels of restriction. Um, just to sort of cast your, your mind back over the last sort of 16 months, Junior, like how have you found it um, personally and how have you found it creatively? I think personally it gave me time to stop and think. Um, I go back and forth from England to Jamaica all the time so you can get a wider kind of view of things. And I was in Jamaica at the time when the whole thing was, England was going to be locked down. So we rushed rushed and came back to England and went straight into lockdown. So it was a complete, it was... I don't, it's not that it was weird, but there was this, this thing that just went on for those first couple of weeks where you could see artists were putting lots of stuff up on, on your YouTubes, on, on, on Facebooks, Insta, and everybody was trying to keep relevant during a time whereby they didn't know what was happening. Nobody, nobody could gauge. What, do you think it was a like sort of knee-jerk? Yeah. It really was, but it gave me the time to think, and it also gave me the time to get back into nature 
it gave me the time to kind of like listen to the birds again, do you know, and watch the rabbit run in the back garden and become his mate and can give him a nut and he'll come for it. It was that kind of thing for me. Stop. Instead of keep traveling and moving around and doing what you're doing, stop a minute, think a minute. I think that the whole thing put people into a state of fear and not really challenging anything anymore, just going along with things. That was strange to see from a generation who was striving to the change that we had become so succumbed to mm. whatever was coming through. It was odd to watch at time. From a musical standpoint, creatively, it was great because of that time to think, because of that time to listen to music that you wanted to be involved in. Uh, a young French band called AP Connection who do a disco-y jazz kind of vibe, which is very new, very fresh to me. And it was a challenge to write something to that kind of music. And it was brilliant. It turned out great. But it was, I was back into that challenge mode again. I was back into that. You've got to make something that's really good. You've got to come up with something. You've got to, the challenge within yourself all the time to make something better. Not even saying that it would be better for, put it this way, you want it to be better for your audience and this time again gave you the time to listen to your music and be really objective. Sure. As opposed to just doing what you were doing and playing dates and doing this and, and making a record and then going there. So the 16 months overall um, has been, for me, I've lost people through this. So when I say this, it's not like if I'm trying to say, well, but for me, it's been a good period. It's been a very good period to sit, watch my fellow human beings and how we, we interact and where we are as, as human beings. Um, so, yeah, and uh, that was where it was when I first started as a kid. I had that time to be able to think through, through various things and look at it to be able to put a story to it to be able to relate through what you're saying definitely and so i i, I totally so agree I, I totally agree and and I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times on this podcast you know when when we first went into lockdown i i, I run a, a a nightclub so you know I, hey. it's been a, a strange time to uh to, to, time to, to get you. through yeah but I like to go for a run in the mornings and normally I'm running where I live in Essex, which is polluted and overcrowded and there's, you know, we're on flight paths and, and it's congested with traffic because I live right next to a huge shopping center. And when we went into lockdown, I'd go for a run and there was no planes in the sky. There was no traffic on the roads and the rabbits were all of a sudden running around the field again. And should you see someone else, that person was experiencing what I was experiencing, which was that lack of connection and communication with people because it's been taken. And so generally a runner will run past another runner and give you a little acknowledgement. 
But yeah. there was people walking yeah. dogs on the other side of the road, like waving, like which doesn't happen right. where I live. And and right. it was so lovely that it felt like yeah. the planet was resetting itself in a little way. Setting itself. And a little system restart, taking nothing away from the horrific, you know, things that, are, that so many people have experienced. No. But, uh, but, but to find the positives in it, which I think, you know, everybody has to do to, to get through it. You have to mm. find the things that can can help you process what's going on. And, and mine was very similar to yours, like just having a little look around the things that you don't generally get to stop and take stock of, you could. And I think, you know, that that was a good place uh, to, to, to kind of start. And then, you know, it's ups and downs for, I guess, everybody throughout the last sort of 16 months of thinking it was all over, thinking it's back out of lockdown, in lockdown. So fingers crossed we're in a place now where uh, it's going to continue to, to remain positive and uh yeah i think that's where we have to be i don't think i don't think we need to deal with the negative because the negative is there it, it, it's 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 the, the the pandemic it's it's what's going on in terms of covid it's there mm. so we can't none of us can turn around and say we just acknowledge the fact that there is something there absolutely but if we allow that to become the the, the driver then within our lives, most of us will continue to live in fear mm. because it's easy to stir it up on all kinds of levels, right? And then somebody pours a bit of petrol on it and it just flames up. If we stick within with positive and we understand that, like, it's only the positive that's going to get all of us through this. 100%. And that's what we, we focus on. Yes, this will happen. We've seen it. But we've got to focus on getting over that hump, not turning around and calling one another's names because of the fact of not doing what the government says you should do or shouldn't do. Not looking at people in that way. We are all human beings, first and foremost. And as I said, this time has truly honed that home to me on all levels. You know, when you look at various different countries, what's going on? The, the dividedness of it all and the divisiveness of it all towards our one another, which is a madness to me, Do you know? So being able to stop, breathe, look, stick with the positive, that's going on, yes, but I can try this and I can do this and try and continue to keep your mind positive as well. Because there is so much negativity around. And a, 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 a tenuous link here, but I imagine one of the positives throughout the whole of this has been music. And so with that in mind, let's, let's start your playlist, Junior. And, and for track one, mate, I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. It's a song by Charlie Parker, and it's called Summertime. So... Why did you choose that? Tell me. And was there any any kind of contenders or was it? And, and how did you approach this list as well? Was it like the first one that came into your mind? Because I'm fully aware that any day of the week you wake up and these there could be seven completely different answers. You know, it's music. There's so much out there. Yeah. But I just wondered how you approach this. And it's the intro one that most musicians find the hardest one to choose. It was. Because... I could have chosen things that have flamboyant openings, right? 
and some jazz things that have incredible overdubs. But this song, when I was a kid, my dad used to put this track on. The opening of it just made me smile. It just made me smile. And it was just the easiest one because everything else would have been just to say, well, I know about arrangements here, so, you know, I'll give you this. And Whereas with this, this is just sometimes simplicity is beauty. And I think that that's what this is. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, in regards to uh, songwriting and, and mm -hmm. intros, like since your career in music began and we look at right. to, to how people would listen to music then, where they would find their music, is, is very different to how people listen to music now. Uh, Agreed. And so with that in mind, when you approach songwriting now, do you consider the fact that we live in uh, a time at the moment where a lot of people's attention spans are getting shorter and, you know, we're seeing that pop records are becoming shorter. There's lots of start with a chorus, you know, we, we, you know and, and, and all of these kind of, I, I, I get, I mean, I, I don't subscribe to it, but the, the, a kind of almost like a rule book of, of making a pop hit of like, you know, what you need to do now, like it's a science, like, is that something that you consider or are you still about the feels? It's got to be, for me, I'm, I'm still coming from how you feel. Music should be from how you feel. It was when, when, when the early 80s and everybody started to get the drum machine, right, because Sly Stone had done, you know, Family Affair and used the 808 and everybody like, oh, my God, I want that sound. So the drum machine started to give you a direct pattern, right, like a metronome. So you were basically now singing to order without really understanding it, whereas before you had your metronome, but the drummer may swing and the bass player goes with him. That's the beauty. And, and then they come back again and, and there's that movement that just happened that you think, did that happen? No, it couldn't have happened. Because you, but you, you leave it there and somebody else might listen to it. And they say it and you're around and you know that, like, yeah, that was a good move there, June. <laughs> you allow creativity to be. Yeah. I, I never from then, even though we use drum machines and live drummers and guitarists and whatever else, and you can use technology for all of that. And the technology, as I say, will give you a metronomic kind of sound, right? And it doesn't sound warm to me. It sounds harsh in terms of its sound. So, no, I have to stick with being a muser, yeah. making yeah. music with musicians, right, and creating something that's different, fresh, mm. something that maybe may not fit the role of whatever, but is good. And that's all it's about. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to take you back for uh, track two, Junior, and I'm going to ask you to tell me, please, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. 
Well, that's pretty easy one too. And that was because I've recorded it since. The change is going to come by Sam Cooke. You know, that song, I had a sister who lived in America and um, she used to send over early Motown records, King records, Wilson Pickett stuff. And she sent this album. And my dad used to be able to make like sound systems and stuff, right? And um, we had one inside the house and he put on that album. And that song came on and I was sitting on the floor. Can you remember it? I was sitting on the floor, I had my legs crossed and my hands in between. And as soon as it started, I just looked up and I didn't move. Did not move. Did not understand exactly what he was saying at the time. But as I grew, what a positive song. An incredibly positive human song. You know, and I just grew to to love this song. It does something. Whoever sings it for me and has the presence in voice to make those words speak to us. Yeah. I'm down with you. I mean, is there that many vocalists that can get anywhere near him? No. I think, well, we if you know about music in that sense, for the time that he was there, he was it. There was nobody else. There wasn't, you know, people say Elvis and whatever else, but they... they forget what Sam did, what he achieved in the time that he was doing what he was doing. The mindset of coming from the gospel and having that huge gospel audience in the very beginning, and then to turn and say, right, I'm going to start making records like this, and still manage to hold on to those people through the message that he would put across. Man was a champion, man. <laughs> Absolutely. He was, he was brilliant. And, I mean, if you've got a voice like that and you look like Sam Cooke, you've got, you've got <laughs> to be a superstar. He was a beautiful man, wasn't he? And it was like, you, you, you know, you, you, you're going to live a charmed life if you can sing like that and you look like that. <laughs> you can do all of that. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Am I right in thinking? Was... Mm-hmm. Was was Linda Womack related to Sam Cooke? I think. Yeah. Now Linda Womack is married to. Um, Linda Womack is Sam's uh, daughter. Right. Sam Cooke's daughter. I thought so. Right. She's married to um, Bobby Womack's brother. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's a talented bunch there, right? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I remember again. I, I was I was probably about twelve when I discovered Sam Cooke, and and it was when in the kind of mid eighties I think that the, the Levi's mm. advert and the reissue of Wonderful World, and Wonderful World, and then hearing um, Cupid in a film, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got bought. I think the album's been deleted since. I got bought the double album called The Man and His Music, and it was a gatefold. Man and His Music. Yeah, gatefold. Yeah. Right? Blue, red. That's it. It's sad. His name in red yeah. and the background was blue. I've still got oh, it. So have I. And, <laughs> and, uh, and it's really weird now because I... I remember on Christmas Day, I said to my parents, I'm going to go upstairs and listen to this. And I just spent all Christmas Day listening to, to Sam Cooke and, and him just blowing, blowing my mind. Um, and, and then I remember, because it was Gateford, it had all this information in it. And there was pictures of like one of the Womacks and there was pictures of him with Muhammad Ali. And it was just this, yeah. all this information about him. And you realise like, and then at that point, I probably didn't realise the significance of the lyrics of Change Is Going To Come. And like, yeah, and then, and then, as you mature, and you, you, you know, you then start to understand what that's about, and the time that that was written in, yeah. it just it takes that song to a completely different level. It's different like, place, yeah, incredible. That's you know, that was why it was easy for yeah. me because it was that song at that time. There was things coming through. If you get, remember just after Sam, you'd go into like Curtis Mayfield and stuff like that. Mm. Right. Which was dealing with what was happening in Vietnam. Right. And giving you information about that. So we were hearing about, we weren't, we didn't have internet, as you know, that we didn't have all of these different technologies, but we were hearing through the people that we loved their music. They were actually speaking to us and telling us and talking to us and informing us. And, we were taking it on, you know, into Bob Marley, into Bill Scott Heroine, into, you know, the Lost Poets, into they were talking to us. That James Brown was talking to us, right? Whereas today, not in the same, it wouldn't be in the same way. But it's like, you're not really talking to us. And that's all of us. Marvin Gaye didn't speak to... 19-year-olds when he did what was going on. There was 35 and 55-year-olds who could understand perfectly what was being said in that song, in that complete project. And that's that's something that um, I think, I mean, What's Going On is probably my favourite ever album. I I think that is Mm. an absolute masterpiece of a record. Mm. Um, Mm -mm. Mm. And and I, I love all of Marvin Gaye's work, but what you touched upon about the constrictions and the sound of a, of a drum machine in the 808 and to, to use sexual healing as an example, like a great record, amazing record. It's no, what's going on. It hasn't got that vibe that, that, and, and, and and it's, yeah, it's really strange. And you look at, and, and and it's definitely some things age like don't age as well through because the technology dates and and I I grew up right. in an era of uh, you know in the mid to late 80s of you know when I hit my teens it was Alex Burroughs furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating they always have their customers in mind their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Sandra O'Neill, Luther Vandross, and, and lots of that right. kind of sort of soul scene that, that, that was coming over to the UK. And I look back mm-hmm. in retrospect now, and I listen to the Never Too Much album, and I think it's incredible. Right. But then when I listen to the Gimme The Reason album, which is all electronic drums, it hasn't... The songs are still great, but the production yeah, yeah. kind of hasn't you, held you up. Lose yeah, you lose you it. You know what I'm because, saying? Because you, of course I do. It's, it's you're modernising yeah. it, right, into a time frame. Whereas you made it out of step. Yeah. To get what, I'm, get what I'm what I'm saying is right. You you we started out making records right with with a band going in rehearsed for two weeks. We went in the studio and that was it. We made an album within a week. We had one week to do it and we made the album. That's how we were doing what we were doing, right? When we made the first album. When we got to the second album, technology started creeping in. So the war started happening. I don't want it, they want it because they want it to sound like, so you're fighting. Now you're making records, which is using the technology, but you're experimenting with it. You're not really, able to get the true vibe and the true sound and the true what you're after within what you're building it goes on a lot of american music was coming through during that late i would say late 70s early 80s that was beginning to have the drum machines as focus by 81 82 right that was it Drum machines was running, you know, with the what was going on in pop music at the time, with all the electrics that was going on, and you know, I'm only human, and all that kind of stuff, that kind of Jam and Lewis, then LA and Face, mm. you know, they perpetuated that whole vibe, mm. you know, mm. and Teddy was right in the middle of, yeah. it, you know, doing the story yeah. of the whole thing. So these three entities made it that like that regimented style of music became the style that became popular, became the style that became what they do right now with your Justin Beavers and all of those kind of artists. It's still playing with drummer and drum machine to try and ensure that it stays current. But if they were making music out of step, it would always be current. Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life wasn't in step. It was out of step. But look how long that's lasted as a piece of music. You know what I'm saying, mate? So it's not always good to be on board of what is the current vibe, what is the current lick, 
right now that makes you pretty much like any other artist playing along just like the drum machine i think there's no discussion. i think uh, uh, someone said to me once that um the idea of um a pair of jeans you can have skinny jeans, they'll be in fashion. Then you can have flares, they'll be in fashion. Then you can have bootcut jeans, they'll be in fashion. A pair of 501s will always be stylish, and style will always outdo fashion. Fashions come and go, but style's a constant, and it's like... Style is constant. <laughs> it never moves, right? Why should it? Absolutely. It knows itself. It knows itself. It doesn't need... You don't need to run it anywhere. It knows itself. All right. right. And that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Listen up. I've only got another new sponsor. Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label. And if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humor in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all support in the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. Well, let's go back to a time when um, I imagine everybody was wearing clothes that they'd look back and, uh, and, and wince at now, <laughs> and that's school. Uh, and for track three, Junior, I'm going to ask you for the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, mate. <laughs> I had to go right back through this one and smile to myself as well. The Beatles. Money can't buy me love, can't buy me love. Oh, everybody tell me so. Love that tune, love that tune. <laughs> <laughs> and what a tune. Come on. Right, I mean, early 60s, right? I'm like maybe well, eight or something like that. Nine, I'm going to primary school. You got um, Luxembourg playing, right? You, you had your um, early kind of BBC radio, no capital radio. You had to go all the way down on the right hand side of the dial to try and get a station to play R and B music. Otherwise, everything that you was hearing was pop. Yeah. So yeah. the Silla Blacks, the 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 Jets, the all of that glam rock thing that came on after the Beatles and stuff, you know, Jerry and the Pacemakers, all of that stuff we were hearing. You know, that was the music of the times. You know, you go into school and you stand on a little bench, me and three other guys, and we'd be like imitating the Beatles and singing, and our money can't buy me love to these girls who are imitating screaming girls because we're kids, you know what I'm saying? We were just watching what we are watching on TV. And it was... Hilarious, man, when you look back at it, you know? But it was such a great record to define that kind of time for me. Where where was school, Junior? And did you enjoy it? School was in South London, in in Clapham South. They call it Clam nowadays. It's become very... Well, it was, but it was a very upmarket place. And um, 
But I was there, I lived in Clapham till I was 21. And then we moved to Fortin Heath and then from Fortin Heath, I went to where, Mitcham and then was out in Mitcham. But those first 21 years of my life in, in Clapham were just defining bits of me. It really was. And, um, school was interesting, very interesting. Again, when you look back at it, right, and you can smile now. At the time, you weren't smiling, right? You know, some you're in the injustices that was going on because you're just coming out of the like the sixties. We're first generation kids, black kids coming in. We're going to school. We're born in England, so you know the whole thing. We couldn't speak West Indian in the house because our parents wouldn't allow us because we were English. We were born in England, you know. And we had to move, we had to do this, we had to put set things, set things in motion, move things forward. They'd come, they'd been so fortunate with their lives to be able to get somewhere to live, bring up their kids, send them to school. The whole thing was about education. So the times that we were living in, that that whole what was going on with civil rights in America, what was going on in Rhodesia with Ian Smith. And you you then are going to a school which only had like say five black kids in it. So again, you're being taught to assimilate to, opposed to dealing with you as an individual in the same way you would any other child within the school. You know, silly things like um, at the time they had um, lice was the big thing. And they used to have a a little cup and it would have some green stuff in it. And Teddy Boy cones, which was the little metal cones. <laughs> and in those days, right, you know, you're a black kid and your hair's growing and they're pulling this thing through your hair and you're, you're winking, right? <laughs> You're winching and you're going like this and they're slapping your hands, get it away, and they're still pulling it through, you know? So it seemed like not understanding, just not understanding, not knowing, not taking a moment to look at that person. So you saw things as a kid growing up that made you not want to fall in line with that. You wanted to be basically out of step. Because that that you're showing me hurts me. And I'm telling you it's hurting me. And you still want to do it tomorrow. And the day after, but I'm telling you, it hurts. So you're not really taking on board what I'm saying. You might be hearing it, but you're not really taking it on board. So if I'm out of step with you, instead of going to take that thing, right? If I'm out of step with you until you understand that you need another time, that's all. One that works with black people's hair. That's all. It's a comb. But to to be arrogant enough to feel that even though you see the pain in the child's face, that you're going to do exactly the same thing tomorrow and the day after. So you start learning early that there is injustice, imbalance going on. And then your music that you're hearing Right, and you're growing up in 
comes from the blues. Because all of the pop things that I was hearing during that period of time, all of those artists, they were listening to the blues. So it was their way of doing the blues, the way that the Stones do, right? You know, it was just an interpretation in the same way as it has become in today's music, an interpretation of what is real, not what is real. And what is real, it's like you and I spoke about the Luthers and stuff. If we look at Luther's voice in terms of what we heard, immaculate for what Luther did, immaculate. You listen to Stevie Wonder's voice. I would turn and put a Dusty Springfield there myself, right? You get what I'm dealing with, right? Voices, things that, that touched you, that made you opposed to a beat alone. Because if instrumentals was what it was all about, then we'd be hearing more instrumentals than we would be hearing vocal tracks. So we know it's not that. As much as people will enjoy instrumentals, I do, right? But at the same time, no. Just no. just to touch on the, 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 the ignorance uh, and, and the injustice that, you know, you was aware of and was exposed to and a victim of growing up as a young boy. Do you mm-hmm. think that was starting to kind of shape your mindset and the music you was listening to, you know, echoing the situation that, you know, you could relate to? Do you think these things all kind of went in the melting pot of, of, of your, your, your stance on politics that would later, you know, see you working with, well out and the Red Wedge movement and, and, mm-hmm. and to kind of, mm-hmm. and with Billy, to, to try and sort of right. progress things. Was, was, was that something that you felt, here's an opportunity yeah. now where I can move things and, and be more progressive and, and, and vocal about my, my, my thoughts and beliefs on, on injustice? I think at that time, nobody was saying anything. And I had just come back from America at that time <clears throat> and um, seen been able to go around with various artists as well who would show me various things and what they were doing and how they were helping and what they were putting into, what they were trying to do for their communities. And I came back and I was like, I, I can't, no, I, I've, I've got to speak about where I'm coming from, right? I've got to be and I've got to try and show that it's possible you can have a successful career and at the same time say it as you see it, not how it will relate so that you sell more records, but say it how you see it. So I went to, I did a a thing in the Times, an interview in the Times and said that, you know, Britain was institutionally racist. And the Times, what do you mean institutionally racist? So I broke it down, right, and said that, like, you know, it's not the common man that that, that is institutionally racist. That's been given to him from up high in terms of the liberty given. If 
you're not prepared to see it for what it is, then you can't change it. It will always be just some guy who comes out, says something, press polarize on it for two minutes, and then they're gone. Means nothing. So being involved, being able to do what the three of us did when we put that whole Red Wedge thing together was incredibly important to me at that time. Mm -hmm. Because it was, you're selling records to people who are like you and you need to show them that this is possible, right? You can make a stance. You can deliver a message to us all that's important that we don't fall into the line of running down somebody's line, that we continue to keep our minds open to all kinds of things. Don't close yourself off. Anything in life is possible. If you uh, aren't going to get what you need from central government, then look to work within your own inner city so that you can build the community to trust whoever it is that's there is actually going to get the money and plow it back into the community. So understand that person first and foremost, because that's the one who's going to push the money through and do the right things within your community. So it was me trying to say, and still would say, was saying at that time and saying the same thing. We were talking about positivity. Well, I've always been that way, positive. My, my parents, as much as they loved music and stuff like that, they knew where they came from. So my mom came from being a, a Garveyite, Marcus Garvey, who basically was an incredible man and did and said incredible things, did the Black Star Liner and stuff like this. But my mom used to be a Garveyite, so she understood where she came from. And she instilled that within us. So it wasn't like if you felt like you had to brace back, we would say. We were always very much as a family, me and my brothers and sisters, we all very much stand firm. Stand firm. Again, going against the grain, you're supposed to go back. We're not going back. It can only move forward. So that was how I saw that whole thing with Red Wedge was to open up to the kids and say, right, I want every politician there is within this borough, in this auditorium, in this theatre. I want them to give out their rhetoric so that these kids can read what they're all saying and stop deciding your movements based on a party that's bigger than another party or this one. You can actually make a very small party incredibly big by being able to work within your area. We don't, we, we've lost community. People actually looking out for one another. This is what the pandemic actually gave us back. Right? The fact of looking out for your neighbour. Right? And actually seeing that person and saying, what's happening? And they say the same thing and you move on. But you are looking out for the people around you. And that was 
what Red Wedge was. We were looking to ensure that young people started to look at politics a bit deeper, just a little bit more, you know, and understood that they can make a change. It's not, you know, it's not that it's impossible. It's just by not being susceptible all the time. Absolutely. For track four, Junior, I'm going to ask you for the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please. Right. Well, for me, it was Grover Washington Junior. It was an album called Inner City Blues. And um, I had, there was a shop in in South London in Ballam. And um, this shop, everybody used to go there in South London. You get all the imports and stuff that was coming in from America. And uh, you had a little booth in those days where you'd go into and the guy had played a record and you listened to it in the booth. And um, I heard Grover Washington play that sax, and it was, was it £4.25 for that album on import. And I had £4.50, and I was going to go out that night, right, you know. But it was a toss-up, and the album won. And that was it, mate. I stayed in. <laughs> but that was the very first album that I ever paid money for and bought. Wonderful. Well, let's move forward um, for track five. Um, and, and that's going to be uh, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Right. That was me. That was me basically being a sound boy back in those days because you're coming out now and you're going more into your your own. I went to grammar school up until um, I was 13, 14. So the school I went to, there was only what me, Mark, about four or five of us as black guys in the school. We were the first school in South London to do that whole trans- transformation thing where it was now going to go into being a comprehensive. So you were putting grammar schools with comprehensive schools anyway, but you were amalgamating them. And we went to a school in the end, it was called Henry Thornton, right? So it became the first comprehensive school, about 1,500 kids in the school at that time, you know, it was a big thing. And by the time I got to my third year, and the two schools that we amalgamated with came from Kennington, and both of them came up, these schools, and it was primarily black kids. So for the first time, right, I was in a school that was now balanced out and was more even, right, for the last two years of my schooling. And that was an incredibly good time, right, because everybody was just like one. There was no more this feeling of one being everybody was one. And that school, I have to give it to right, the teachers and the way that the kids were mindset-wise. It's fantastic, man. Fantastic. So it was getting to that age, getting to sound system boy, Coxon, Duke Reed, Shelley, 
Count Shelley. These were Safonso. These sounds where they string up in a club with the huge boxes, right? And they'd hold a dance, you know? And that dance would go on from maybe seven till two in the morning and whatever else. And they're playing reggae. But if they played a soul tune, you knew that that soul tune's going to be massive because the reggae man don't play soul. You know what I'm saying? Back in them days. So it was, that was me. Yeah, that was me between that 14, I'd say, to 19 period of music that was like, that was what was taking me on. That was what was moving. And what specific track would you for me, it was Do You Remember the Days of Slavery by Burning Spear. What a tune. Bad tune, man. I... Bad tune. Takes you right back. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to take you home um, for track six. And, uh, and Junior, I'm going to ask you for a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Well, this is Skinhead Moonstomp, right? This tune, the lead singer, used to come to mum and dad's house and upstairs we had an opening and his band used to rehearse because they were friends of my brothers and the band rehearsed. So I got to know Roy really well. He was like another brother. What was his second name? Was it Bailey? Was it Roy Or was it Ellis? Ellis. Roy Ellis. Roy Ellis. Yeah. His, his son went to my school. And, uh... Get out. Get out. <laughs> what? I spoke to Roy about four, yeah, about four years ago now, right, the last time he and I spoke. But, yeah, he was from the manor. My mum and dad took him in, basically. And um, Roy had the band, and they just used to rehearse upstairs, as well as there was another band called Simande as well. And they used to do the same thing yeah. and rehearse at the house. Yeah. That's so, again, getting into music and whatever else. But Roy used to jump up and down, and, you know, and do this skinhead thing, right? And when he made the record, and, and I heard it for the first time on the radio, I couldn't believe it. I was, <laughs> you know, you turned it right up. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, I was off. Off, go with it. I think all of that made me really enthusiastic about being in music yeah. and, and that fun, watching them rehearse. And then when they played live and the energy and the, the, the audience and all of that stuff, you, you just like, I suppose I just got blinded by all of that. Yeah. Just, wow, I want to yeah. do this. I want to do this. It's, it's, right. it's so weird because like when I first started uh, secondary school, like, uh, again, it wasn't a very multicultural school in Essex at the time uh, and, mm. and, and and Roy's son was a, a, probably about three or four years older than me and and this is at a time when hip-hop had just happened it was just happening like the electro albums were out uh, right. and there was this kid that was Roy's son and he could break dance he was like everybody would go and watch him break dance not just that he was also one of the best graffiti artists as well. Uh, and then fast forward a few years, he was involved in, in, uh, in, a uh, maybe probably not the most legal of radio stations at the time, 
but uh, <laughs> but it was a vital station for for where we grew up, and uh, and I just think it's incredible that that creativity that uh, you know the bones of it definitely transcends through generations and like no one else at my school you know was would step up and do what he done and he done it and and it was like to this day you know we see him about and it's just like just i'll always go i won't even probably mention who his dad was i go that guy there literally one of my first days at school i was like who's that guy like the the confidence and the coolness and he was just an absolute dude and then to see him like pioneer a scene really where we where we grew up with, with radio was yeah. like i think it's just brilliant that if you can if you've got them creative bones and you can get fed through to the next generation you can get, yeah oh yeah and it passes down it's, you know if you it might not be in the same way i have a, a daughter who does publishing and stuff and you know that's like passed down if you get what yeah. i'm saying you know it's like yeah. you you dad blah 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 yes like this 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 you know and it's nice because it's the other side of what i do if you get what i'm yeah. saying it's not a creative side but it's creative in its own way mm. right and she has to be and you know so yeah you 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 do remember those people too people who who it's like they just step up. They came in there different. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? They just came into this whole thing different. And and you remember them. You know, if you... I remember being a kid and we had... What was it? Saturday morning, they used to do these little cartoons of the Jacksons and the Osmonds, right? And everybody knew that the Jacksons one was better than the Osmonds one. Right. So that was no, but the way that it would always be projected to you is like the Osmonds one. You, you're not focusing correctly. When actually the, the Jacksons one, it didn't have no nobody cared about no color with the Jacksons one. That was just a great little cartoon, yeah. right? That we used to watch on a Saturday morning, right? But you could see even from then, the push towards, right? It being about not the cartoon. Yeah about the colour of a man's skin. So you started like, you know, you're young and you're looking at this and you're like, are we all watching the same thing? And everybody's like tuned off by that time. They're not bothered. But I was like, no, this, as you said, that whole journey of moving all the way along, going to the Red Wedge, being involved in all of that, going to the Houses of Parliament, understanding some of that. You had, in my mind, you had no choice. Mm. You were in that position. You were in the out of step. Your record was a hit in America, in France, in Germany. So you weren't reliant only on the UK for your success. So you could say what you want and bounce. Do you know what I'm saying, right? And I just wanted to ensure that while I was here, I was saying something opposed to just being somebody who made a record will many people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? It made a record. I wanted to make a record. I wanted to have something that would stand. I wanted to do work that would stand within the industry that I chose to be a part of. You know, and that to me was the driving force. 
for the last track, you get to play Tastemaker, Junior, and, uh, and, and DJ. And, and I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. This song is by Quincy Jones, and it's called If I Ever Lose This Heaven. Tell me about it. What can people expect from it, Junior? Um, jazz, great harmonies, a song that will melt you and make you smile at the same time. One that you can be sitting down with your coffee and your biscuit with and you can just chill. Or one you're, if you still read books, which I do, if you just chill with a nice book and put this on, right, I think you'll be wavering between what you're reading and what you're hearing. And trust me, it will pull you to one side. That's what this song does. Lovely. Did you, um, um, did you get to see the Quincy Jones documentary that came out a couple of years ago? Oh, my God, that's yeah. incredible. <laughs> the Quincy is a monster. <laughs> He's a monster. Come on. Come on. The, 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 the work. The body of work, the people he's worked with, you know, the different artists in different genres and different styles and classical arrangements. And, you know, to the to the to the Michael Jackson bad, to the Michael Jackson thriller, to to be able to walk that kind of journey just yeah. must be from Bebop all the way through. Jesus Christ, man, the guy's a monster. Nothing like it. Absolutely. Nothing like it. Well, as we mentioned at the beginning, Junior, we're on our way out of lockdown now. We're, uh, we're starting to get back into um, being able to go to gigs and clubs and, and restaurants and start to reconnect with our friends and be able to hug them and, you know, and with, with a, a positive attitude um, to, to, you know, looking forwards. What are you looking forward to? from the rest of 2021 personally and what is going to be happening professionally? Personally, seeing people again, just seeing people again and seeing people smiling and being a part of something, a show, an event. I missed that really did, it's the interaction with people, you know. So I'm looking forward to be a, being able to do that more. Right? From a professional standpoint, I have a record that will be coming out pretty soon, the, the redirection, Rediscover album, which is a collection of 80s albums, well, 80s artists, should I say, from uh, Akiki D to... Lee John to Sunita to Kim Mazel to a Won Chung real diverse album which I'm not going to say too much about but I think a lot of people when they hear this album are going to say nah this remember I said about being able to step back off of it and bring something fresh to the table that's what this album is Amazing. you're going to love it you're going to love it 
And Junior, if people want to keep up to speed uh, with that and everything else that you're, you're, you're up to, where's the best place to, to stay up to speed on you? Well, you can get me on uh, juniorgiscom.co.uk, which is my website. You can get me there. You can get me on Facebook, Junior Giscom, Instagram, same thing. Um, and that's it, really. Well, if it's uh, all right with you, when I put this out, um, when I put it up onto to Facebook and, and Instagram, if it's cool with you to, to tag you in it, so if people aren't following you already, then they can go and explore uh, the world that is Junior no. Giscom. No problem. Mate, you've been an absolute delight and I've been so thrilled to get to talk records with you, Junior. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, it's a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, man. Thank you. There you go. Junior Giscombe. Oh, what an absolutely lovely gentleman. We carried on chatting afterwards for for 10 minutes or so, which is always a great sign. And uh, I could have spoke to, to Junior for, for, for hours. You know, you can just tell, you know, a good soul and, and, and somebody that was, you know, really open and honest and, and positive. And, uh, and we need that. We need that now more than ever. Um, I hope you enjoyed that chat. I hope you got a fraction of the, you know, just a fraction of the joy that I got from having that. Then I guarantee that would have meant you still had a lovely, lovely time. So thanks again to Junior. Thanks to you lot for listening and supporting this podcast. As mentioned at the beginning, go get stuck into the back catalogue. Um, a lot of the artists that we mentioned in this chat, go and have a rummage in the archives because I'd say a few of them have probably been on the podcast. Um, and yeah, and I'll be back next time. In the meantime, everything else you need to know, off the beat and track podcast.com. Be excellent to each other. Stay safe and uh, love you lots. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat a pocket.